God's word for our meditation today, as I mentioned, this ongoing study of the book of Romans today from chapter 8, starting at verse 15. Listen carefully. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the present suffering of the time is not compared, worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Not only the creation, but we ourselves, who, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This is the word of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Last week, today, and next week are like a little mini-series inside of our summer-long sermon series, Made Right, Romans chapter 8 is one of, if not the, most powerful and potent chapters in the whole Bible for living the new life that's the restored life that is ours through faith in Jesus. So after seven chapters of, of detailing what it means to be made right with God, chapter 8 turns the corner and it says, now here's what that looks like in real time in your everyday life. So let me remind you that we began last week with chapter 8, verse 5, where we read, set your mind on the things of the Spirit, not on the things of the flesh. Now, I'm not going to re-preach that whole sermon, but you have to remember where we wound up in order to go forward today. 
Remember, please, that when you set your mind on the things of the Spirit, that is, on your baptism, on the Lord's Supper, on the Word in all of its various forms, on the conversations about your faith with fellow followers of Jesus and in your prayer, when you set your mind on these things, the Holy Spirit will testify. The Holy Spirit will bear witness to your spirit that you are a dearly loved, forgiven, born again, bound for eternity in the new heaven and the new earth, son or daughter of the one and only omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, holy, just, gracious, merciful, kind, good, and loving triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you will never be any more than that as if you could add something to it, but you'll never ever be any less than that. And to know that hourly, daily, moment by moment, with certainty in your awakened heart that you are the sons and the daughters of the Most High God adopted into his family, all your debts paid by Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, that you bear his name and that you are right now heirs. Heirs of the kingdom of God, which is the world put right, right now, through our faith in Jesus and then forever when he comes again and makes it all permanent. And then if you were here last week, you remember that our text ended with these ominous words, provided we suffer with him, that is, with Jesus in order that we also may be glorified with him. And then the reading for today begins with, I consider that the present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us. Look, set your mind on the things of the Spirit, and he will work in you a childlike trust, a realistic outlook on life in this world, and a bold confidence even and especially when you're suffering. First of all, let's take a look at this childlike trust. Now, if you noticed, I backed up a couple of verses to reread something that we read last week because we really didn't have enough time to to speak to it. So many of you have been taught, many of you have already heard that this word Abba, in the Aramaic language is the Aramaic word probably often translated as daddy. But it might be even more accurate to say that it is translated dada. Now what is that? What is that sound? other than the very first sound that infants learn to make. I mean, you might actually remember this with your firstborn when you waited for that baby to make those sounds, ma, ma, ma. Only after the first two children, Lois started practicing dad, 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 in the hopes that they would go there before, ma, ma, ma. 
Look, this is not the language of even a four or a five-year-old child. Lois and I have been watching our two youngest grandchildren. They're here today for a week. And let me tell you, as delightful and as wonderful and almost perfect as they are, just in case their parents are watching... Even at the age of four and five, they have learned that when they want something, how to come cute and jump up in your lap and go, Papa. No, Abba. Abba is before that stage. This is, the, this is infant talk when all, all they want is to see their parents' face. To know that their parents are, are present there with them. Now, what Paul is saying is that when the Spirit starts to testify with your spirit to, to bear witness, you will receive that kind of a childlike, that kind of an infant-like trust in God where all you want, all you need is simply to have God's presence. Look, without the Holy Spirit, your relationship to God will often seem very mechanical. You'll go to him when you're in trouble. You'll go to church because you think you have to. There are lots and lots of people who go to God without the Spirit. They go to God to ask for things. They go to God because they think it's somehow their duties. But when the Holy Spirit comes... There's something new. It's like an infant wanting the face of their parents. All of a sudden, you get to have the desire only for God himself, just for his face, just for his nearness to you. In fact, it's kind of interesting when you go back and, and look at the things that Jesus said about hypocrites. One of the points that he made as the very first indication of hypocrisy was how they pray, how they worship. Because you see, a hypocrite is somebody who doesn't just want to come and be in God's presence. A hypocrite is somebody who prays and who goes to church because they're expected to. Prays as if they feel like, well, I better do it if I want to get God on, on my good side. But the Holy Spirit will come in and he will create in you a longing. He will create in you a hunger. He will create in you a thirst just to be with God. So first, this Holy Spirit comes in, creates that longing, that hunger, that thirst, this childlike trust. But then it goes more. It says, next, I want you to set your mind on the things of the Spirit, and the Spirit will give you a very realistic outlook on life in this world. Now, I want you to look again closely at the words on the screen, by Him, by the Holy Spirit, we what? We cry, Abba, Father. Because you see, it's very easy to imagine that when you become a believer, now all of a sudden everything is going to go smoothly in your life. There are not a, a few people who have walked away from the faith because they wrongly believed that once they started following Jesus, bad things, really bad things, would never happen to them. 
So look closely because it doesn't say that we, that we sing Abba or that, or that we gently whisper Abba. It says we cry. And the word cry is a word of distress, of deep emotions. It's, it's almost always used for a person in trouble. In fact, it is the word that was used to describe Peter when he decided that he could go out walking on the water and then took his eyes off of Jesus. He cried, Jesus, Lord, save me. See, he wasn't saying, hey, Jesus, how's it going up there? No, he's sinking down into the water and he cries out. In fact, three times... In these verses that I read to you, Paul uses the word groaning. Creation groans, we groan, and the Holy Spirit groans. Now, one translator translates this groaning as sighing with and having throbbing pain. Sighing and throbbing with pain. Look, you know this, everything in this life falls apart eventually. I mean, Disney makes it all sound very, very natural. You remember in, in, in The Lion King, looking over out over that vast herd of, of antelope, little Simba's father said, look, we're all joining with the, am, with the antelope in the circle of life. But Simba astutely observes, I thought we eat the antelope. And the father says, oh, yes, we eat the antelope, but when we die, our bodies become a fertilizer, and that grows the grass, and the antelopes eat the grass. You see, it's all natural. It's all the circle of life. Well, maybe in a cartoon movie, but anyone who has seen death up close and personal knows that it's anything but natural. The whole creation is groaning, sighing, and throbbing with pain. And there, people, is nothing. There is absolutely nothing in the Bible that says followers of Jesus are going to have an easier life than anybody else. Now, wait, don't make any mistake. There is actually a promise here. And creation groans, the followers of Jesus groan. But here's the promise. The promise is that when we don't even know what to pray for, the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings that are too deep for words. Because you see, it doesn't say that the Spirit is going gonna, is gonna to take away our weaknesses. It says that the Spirit is going to help us through our weaknesses. He doesn't save us from our suffering, from our weaknesses. He's going to do something remarkable through it. Here's what he's saying. You are going to groan in this life. I mean, if it's been pretty easy going for you so far, it just means you're still really young. Because everybody will eventually groan. Everybody is going to see bad things. Everybody is going to experience loss. Everybody is going to find themselves at some point sighing and throbbing in pain. But the question, the question that we have to address is how you groan. 
Because when you are suffering, while you're experiencing that weakness, you turn with that childlike, infant-like trust in your Abba, the Father. And you remember who he is and what he has done to make you right with him in Jesus. There will come into you a deepening sense of, of wisdom and a development of the beauty of your heart and a spiritual character and clarity. People, you will expand. You will grow through your weaknesses. You're going to groan in this life. That's the realistic outlook that the Spirit works. Without the Spirit, all that groaning is just going to wear you down and make you smaller. But with the Spirit comes the guarantee of growing great through your groaning. Now, I think there's been any number of stand-up comedians who have gotten a lot of laughs trying to imagine what it would be like if a child being born could describe that experience, right? Now, I don't think, I don't really know whether doctors and nurses still do it this way or not. I, I could be wrong, but in all the old movies, the doctor holds the baby upside down and smacks it on the backside, and the first thing you hear is a scream, and all the baby knows at that moment is that some stranger is slapping me. I was all safe and all warm and all comfortable, and now all of a sudden I am cold and covered in, oh, what is this? But the truth is that everything that is happening is happening for the baby. Everybody's eyes are on the baby. All the medical professionals are working for the baby. The child is being born. The child is being made safe. Even when it doesn't feel that way for the child. And it's a picture, people, of your Christian life. Why do you think the Bible calls it being born, being, being born again? All of the groaning in this life is for a purpose. In spite of everything that's happening to me, I know you're, you're my Abba, you're my Father. And when you know that, you start to grow through your suffering. You're being brought out of the darkness into the light, out of infancy into maturity. The Spirit is working that infant-like trust to call God, Abba, Father, and then he will work in you this realistic view of life in this broken and fallen mess of a world to see that it is through your groaning that you are growing. Look, finally, the Holy Spirit will work in you a strong and bold confidence. When you, with this infant-like trust, cry out, Abba, you are actually confessing something that is not found anywhere else in history, in any philosophy, in any religion. You are claiming that the one and only true God is your father and that you are dearly loved sons and daughters. And people, that's unheard of. 
In fact, it's one of the things that outraged the religious leaders about Jesus, that he would call God, Father, Look to them and to most people across the pages of history, the audacity to call God Father, to assume that type of a relationship with God was an offense. God is too great. God is too mighty. God is too holy. God is too powerful. And it even took his first followers a while to figure all that out. Until they finally came to know, to see, to believe who Jesus was. He's the son of God. The only one who had the right to call God Abba. And this is what makes following Jesus so revolutionary. Because through faith in Jesus, Paul is saying that God now treats you as if you were everything that Jesus was. God now honors you as if you had done everything Jesus has done. Look, if you were all God's employees, you would have all been fired a long time ago. But in Jesus, you're dearly loved, forgiven sons and daughters. And the Spirit will give you this bold confidence, people, That even when you have blown it, even when you are experiencing weakness, even when you're not praying with infant-like trust and you're not coming to church with joy at the thought of being in his presence, even then he sees you through Jesus. The Spirit takes the objective truth of our adoption as sons and daughters of the Most High and makes it subjectively real. He awakens our hearts. C.S. Lewis said it like this at one time, we go higher and higher up and deeper and deeper in. And so I'll end with this old story about seeing a father walking down the street with his, his little boy, and they're walking along, and all of a sudden, the father reaches down, picks the little boy up, and says, I love you, and he hugs the little boy, and the little boy hugs the father back around the neck. And then the question is asked, is the son more a son when he's in the father's arms than he was in on the sidewalk? And of course, the answer is obviously not. But there is a change in the experience of the status of being a son. A dramatic change in the boy's experience of his status as a son in that moment as the father lifted him up off of his feet. Do you get it? Set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Your baptism, the Lord's Supper, the Word of God in all of its various forms, conversations with fellow followers of Jesus and prayer and people, the Spirit will work in you. Childlike trust, a realistic view of life, and an ever higher and deeper confidence that you are His precious child. Amen.
Now the peace that passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in this true faith, the life everlasting. Amen.